Do you want to stop yelling and have your child listen to? Well, I have exciting news for you. If you're hearing this right now, it means that the doors to mindful parenting are open at mindfulparentingcourse.com. This only happens for a limited time, and it may be perfect for you if you want to be that patient, calm parent, but you're afraid of being walked all over, you're losing it, and you want to be that steady, peaceful parent, you don't have a cohesive method, and you take in bad advice like just count to one, two, three. Mindful parenting is an evidence-based system that not only teaches you how to calm your reactivity, but offers you a ton of personal guidance. A lot of other parenting coaches talk about the best way to respond to your child, but guess what? They don't walk you through the research-proven practices that it really takes to create changes that actually last. Mindful Parenting teaches you the specific steps to create cooperative, loving relationships for life. In Mindful Parenting, you can learn how to stay calm, even if you find yourself shouting hourly now. Be present for your child no matter what they're going through. Resolve conflicts easily without yelling or taking away the iPad. Set limits without your child resenting you for days afterward. And build trust between you and your child so that you avoid misery in the teen years. The doors are open now at mindfulparentingcourse.com. Unlike other programs in Mindful Parenting, we offer one-on-one coaching to every member and weekly drop-in coaching sessions. Don't wait anymore. You and your kids are worth leveling up. Go to mindfulparentingcourse.com and join now before the doors close again. That's mindfulparentingcourse.com. I'll see you there. I would have a powerful emotion and then I would think there's something wrong with it. Therefore, that translates into there's something wrong with me. And that's where the problem is, not the emotion itself. So if we can really work on changing self-judgment into self-compassion, that was a skill building technique I had to learn. I did not have that ability, as do many HFPs. To switch that is incredibly life-changing. You're listening to the Mindful Mama podcast, episode 296. Today, we're talking about highly sensitive people with Julie B. Elland. Again. Welcome to the Mindful Mama podcast. Here, it's about becoming a less irritable, more joyful parent. At Mindful Mama, we know that you cannot give what you do not have, and when you have calm and peace within, then you can give it to your children. I'm your host, Hunter Clark Fields. I help smart, thoughtful parents stay calm so they can have strong, connected relationships with their children. I've been practicing mindfulness for over 20 years. I'm the creator of Mindful Parenting, and I'm the author of the best-selling book, Raising Good Humans, a mindful guide to breaking the cycle of reactive parenting and raising kind, confident kids. Hey, welcome, dear listener. I am so glad you are here today. I'm so glad to connect with you again. This is going to be such a powerful episode. I am so glad for you to listen. And this is actually a replay of one of our most powerful episodes we've had in the past, as we are in the month of August, replaying some of the best of from way back when, because now that we have so many podcasts, You can't even listen to like the ones that are older than 100 on some of the podcast players. So we're bringing them back because, you know, if you're a new listener, you need to hear this. And if you have been listening for a while, I guarantee that you are going to get so much out of listening to this 
episode again because this is such a powerful thing. So if you have a highly sensitive child or if you think that you might be a highly sensitive person, this is such a good episode for you to listen to, re-listen to, listen to again after that. Julie B. Elland and I did talk about what it feels like to be an HSP and how it feels, how it appears to others. There's some important takeaways, some big topics that we talk about, you know, how many of us really walk around with masks on, hiding our sensitivities from the world around us. And what if we could instead look at it as like kind of a superpower, which I love that idea. We talk about ways a sensitive person can reduce anxiety and stress and why it's so, so important and how the way we parent, of course, makes a huge difference in the relationships and communication with highly sensitive people. So I can't wait for you to dive into this episode. Before we dive in, I just want to share so many people have asked about taking what you listen to on the podcast deeper with the Mindful Parenting membership. So I thought I'd share some recent member wins. So one of the things we do is we really try to provide some real accountability because you're making changes, you're learning a new language that may be really different from the way you were brought up. So we want you to have accountability and we provide that every week in our Facebook group by sharing your intentions. And I just want to share what Allie's intention was. She had this intention to listen to the parenting affirmations, the mindful parenting affirmations daily. And she has been listening to them twice a day, which is awesome. I love that. So really feeding, starting to transform that harsh inner voice to a really positive voice. And I'm thrilled for Suzanne, who was able to have an really powerful new way of communicating conversation with her daughter about the meltdowns they were having as they were leaving the house. And she said that since we've addressed it, it's been so much better. So yay, I'm so thrilled for that. You know, I love being able to offer this podcast and of course my book, Raising Good Humans. I hope you have your copy, but the people I help the most are those that join the Mindful Parenting membership. You know, someone asked me recently, like, why, why is it different? Why can't I just read a book? And and really it is like that because you are learning a new language. You're, you're transforming yourself. So you need that guidance, that accountability, that community around you. And, you know, when you're learning a new language, you need to practice it again and again. And again, you can't just read a book and learn a new language. It's, it's really hard. So we actually have skills, communication skills, practice sessions every month and 36 hours a year of live coaching. So it really is amazing. So if you are interested, I am not offering any one-on-one -on -one coaching or group coaching anymore. So the only way to work with me is through the Mindful Parenting membership. So go to mindfulparentingcourse.com now and get on the wait list. And I'd love to see you inside. Now, let's dive in. Join me at the table as I talk to Julie B. Elland. Julie, thank you so much for coming on the Mindful Mama podcast. Well, thank you for having me. This is a great topic to be talking about. Yeah, yeah. So where you specialize in highly training, highly sensitive people, helping highly sensitive people over, you know, reduce anxiety, reduce overwhelming feelings and things like that. How did, how did you get into this what's your I mean I imagine this has a lot this often has a lot to do with our own personal story <laughs> yes absolutely <laughs> definitely the kind of learning about my own sensitivity learning about the trait itself and how life transforming that is to just understand yourself better and my own journey of kind of wanting to you know, reduce my own anxiety and stress and live better was really the catalyst to my work with in this area. 
Yeah. Yeah. So tell me about that. Well, about my work. No, about your story. I want to hear oh, why. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What, what brought you to this work? Oh, okay. Well, let's see. I definitely am a highly sensitive person. And I don't know if you want to go into a little bit about what the trait means, but I, we probably will do that. And just, you know, struggling with all the overwhelm of life and responsibilities and being a sensitive person in the world, kind of overstimulated and all of that that brings and wanting to thrive more in the world, wanting to kind of help others. And as I kind of learned more about this trade, and I'm really interested in how the brain works and how we can use what we know about the brain to support our experience. And, you know, I think that the kind of the difference between living consciously versus living unconsciously is just a incredibly different way of life. And yeah, somebody that used to, I used to struggle a lot and I, I'm a mom too. And I understand, you know, how hard that is and also how wonderful that is. And that we trying to stay kind of balanced and centered in the world as we're trying to be the kind of parents we want to be. And that's really been my motivation. And it's just incredible to work with people and know that you're really helping transform their lives. That's just an incredible calling for me in general. And, you know, being able to improve my own life. Also, I think about like my sensitivities finally have a gift <laughs> in the world. I feel like now they have a gift. I didn't understand the gift, gift when I was younger, but now I do. And it comes with challenges and gifts. Yeah. 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 How so about you? I, I mean, I think I'm definitely a highly sensitive person too. And I mean, I was just completely overwhelmed as a, a young person. For me, it all it all sort of came to a head around when I was in college and in my early twenties. Is that when you really felt that as well? Oh yeah. Well, I think well, I felt so much like just overload and overwhelm most of my life and but I think I found myself starting in my 20s and okay. kind of exploring this I think a lot of us as we kind of move towards 30s start to kind of think about the direction of our life and what's important and how are we going to get where we want to get and um, live the kind of way that we want to live and start when you, as soon as you start have being a mother that changes everything your experience in life and what's important and how did you discover that you were a highly sensitive person? You know, I think I came across, sometimes I try to remember this, the exact moment, but I know that it was, I think it came from finding Elaine Aaron's book, as I think a lot of us found out through her, her book, The Highly Sensitive Person. And I remember crying throughout reading that book. And it was because I feel like I found myself. I was like, oh my gosh, there's other people like this, experiencing the world in this way. There's not something wrong with me. And that's where it really changed for me. And at that time, there was nobody else talking about it. Really, there was hardly anything out there besides what Elaine Aaron had. And so it's exciting to see how many people are learning about this trait and how much information is out there now. So how does she define it? What or how do how does one define it? What are the traits? Well, she came up with a great acronym to describe all HSPs. Uh, we call them HSP for highly sensitive person. And it's also called sensory processing sensitivity. And so the acronym is DOES, D-O-E-S. 
and that stands for depth of processing, overstimulation, emotionally responsive, and sensitivity to subtle stimuli. So all HSPs have that, and it's the same across genders, and there's about 20%. So one, pretty much one out of five people have this inherent trait. And it's a survival strategy. I think it's also really helpful to kind of learn about why it exists in the first place. I think that that helps us really accept and understand ourselves better that, you know, we have their specific brain differences and it's basically a greater sensitivity and responsiveness to like environmental and social stimuli. So we are different in the world and there's a reason why we're, we're needed in the world but we also have to take care of ourselves in specific ways because you see a lot of anxiety and high stress from HSPs in general. And, you know, up to, they think it's about up to 50% of clients in therapy are HSPs. So that kind of tells you a lot oh, wow. right there. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it, it's got to be a spectrum too, you know, like everybody's sort of sensitive, but just tell me a little bit more. How would, how would someone know they have depth of processing, for instance. What does that mean? Well, a great first step for people is to take Elaine Aaron's self-test. And that has a 27 questions. It's like true or false. And she's, you know, done a lot of research in this area to navigate picking those those particular questions. And so you're right, there is a spectrum. Like I'm 27 out of 27. I said yes, true to all of those questions. And I'm at the highest level and I've actually met a few other 27s, but anywhere you can have a different levels of sensitivity as well as, and the thing that's also, because there's a lot of moms listening that's really important to talk about is that we have research now that shows that children who are sensitive children who are raised with, in the right type of supportive environment actually are less likely to experience depression and anxiety in, in their life. But just the opposite of that happens as well. If we're not given the right kinds of support for our sensitivities, we're more likely to experience depression and anxiety. So what we're doing with our kids is really important. Wow. Wow. That, that really makes me think a lot because I know that a lot of my <laughs> highly sensitive traits are definitely have been passed on to my oldest daughter. And, you know, I've, I've talked to her and at one point I heard I don't know if it was Obama or something like this who said who has talked about this, but I, I remember hearing this metaphor that really struck and rung true for me. It was that it's kind of like, and this is the way I sort of describe it to her, is that, you know, there are all kinds of different flowers in the world. Like there are dandelions that can grow and bloom in any kind of environment. And they're everywhere and they're wonderful. And there's, but there's orchids too. And there's orchids, they need really specialized environment. They need special conditions. They need the light to be just so and the dark to be just so and the soil to be just so and all those things. And it's, it's more difficult for an orchid to bloom, but when it does, it's like, wow, it's an orchid. Oh. You know, it's pretty awesome. You know? And so I kind of, I've explained her sensitivity to her in that way. Like, honey, you know, you're like an orchid and you need certain conditions, you know, and one of the things, of course, we talk about for her is getting enough sleep. And, and so she's actually, she's really responsible about that and, and she doesn't want to go on 
she didn't want to go in a sleepover to a friend's house who stays up all night doing dance parties and <laughs> wants, to, <laughs> wants to make sure she gets enough sleep because she's it affects her so so much oh my gosh yes so is this kind of what you're talking about like making that that right environment for a highly sensitive child I oh, wanted to learn more about that like what is this environment that we need to create for these these kiddos yeah and I love that you're using those I absolutely love how you describe that to her that should be written down somewhere and given to parents <laughs> that's a perfect way to describe it and in fact you may have gotten the flower names from some of the research because they're showing that in talking about the spectrum it's like the lower end of sensitivity dandelion the middle part tulip mm -hmm. the high part orchid so that's a perfect way to describe it yes and you know the the right amount of self-care is definitely that is a huge piece to help kids kind of navigate that help them self-regulate as well as and i found that a big piece of of this is acceptance self-acceptance teaching them to accept who they are to value it to the validation of your experience so you know if we're growing up you know i grew up in a situation where most of the time i felt there was something wrong with the way i was reacting to the world and a lot of people have that experience it's like what's wrong with yes. you why are you so sensitive yes yes you know? yes yes <laughs> <laughs> so then we grow up thinking there's something wrong with us and and that has, you know, an impact in, in millions of ways, our self-esteem, how we view ourselves in the world and, you know, even our connection to people. And I grew up often feeling not connected because I felt if I exposed who I really was, I wasn't going to be liked. And yes. so, yes, yes. I, I feel like, <laughs> oh my God. Yes. Like I had like, I had like a couple of friends, you know, I remember growing up feeling like I had had this one friend who lived behind me and they were just so accepting and in so many ways and wonderful and another friend. But I remember with most of the people feeling like, ah, if you, if you, if I show you kind of who I really am, like you're not actually not going to like me that much. Yeah. Totally. So a lot of us walk around with masks on. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, if I, I can make you like me because I have my mask on and, you know, but that's obviously, we're not going to be truly happy that way. We're not going to really be connected. And I remember starting out trying to, in consciously connect and be vulnerable and I, it felt so scary when I first started and um but it's so worth it and I watch my children now and they're at this time 14 and 16 and I just can't believe how much they're both highly sensitive as well and they have so much confidence and they're so different than how I was and I'm proud of that that they grew up with that kind of support and understanding of of their differences of and, and I think it's interesting to learn about the brain differences and why we experience things that we do because I feel like that's really validating. Yeah, I really want to talk about that. But first you talked about some of the things we need in the environment for highly sensitive kids. You talked about self-acceptance. What else are we what else are some of the things that we want to be sure to mention here when we're thinking about the environment for highly sensitive kids? Yes. Um helping them learn about how to take care of themselves to be the as centered as they can like you were mentioning with your yeah. daughter and you know a lot of a lot of parents come to me and talking about like you know we have this birthday party and my child just had a total meltdown and i don't know what to do about it you know and so kind of teaching them about what what is the right amount of downtime for your child and an alone time and teaching them to uh when a when a really powerful emotion comes up that how do they manage that what do they do and how can they uh, support themselves through it teaching them self-compassion that's a big one 
There's a specific self-compassion techniques that I really like a lot um, that are really great to start teaching kids really young. I also think that um, coming from a place of teaching rather than authoritarian discipline, mm-hmm. that's something that's really helpful because sensitive people in general and sensitive kids, they want to do things right. They want to make you happy. They don't want to make mistakes. They're already hard on themselves enough. So teaching them like what they, what your needs are, what your expectations are, working together as a family to find out what works and what doesn't work. It's their, their ability is incredible that what they, you know, they're often kind of often like seem like old souls. They, they're, they can learn uh, a lot if we teach them from a young age. And I feel like the teaching them about, you know, what's their self-talk like mm-hmm. and how they being compassionate and supportive with their, with themselves. And that comes from, you know, are they receiving that from their parents? We are supported by Mysteries About True Histories, affectionately known as Math Mysteries About True Histories. It's a weekly show full of time travel puzzles, hidden equations, history, and lots of laughs. I highly recommend this podcast. It's really wonderful, especially if you have kids like around like six plus, but it can totally be enjoyed by the whole family. So I listened to the episode, The Pirate Queen, and you're just dropped right in the middle of the action. People are fighting. There's sword fight. And then these kids, they've gone on a time travel mission and they have to solve problems in the midst of it. And it really just like exemplifies everything we support here at Mindful Parenting. You know, kids who are adventurous, doing things on the world, they're capable. And then they do things like they have to do math, they have to think critically, they have to code break and pattern solving and all this great stuff. Beyond just the Pirate Queen episode, which I highly recommend, episodes transport listeners to moments in history, too, like Pythagoras, Ancient Greece, the era of the Aztecs, or Isaac Newton's England, and more. So jump in with your family. Follow the adventures of Max and Molly on an adventure through time with puzzles and hidden equations and laughs. And it really does make learning really fun and really cool. Perfect for ages six and up. New episodes drop every Thursday, each stacked with so much laughter that your kiddos won't even realize how much they're learning. So tune into Mysteries About True Histories with your kids, and you can follow and listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your pods. That's Mysteries About True Histories. I want to tell you about a great podcast that you should check out, especially if you ever deal with any school system, which you probably do. It's called Understood Explains. This season of the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert Juliana Ortube, and it's all about how to navigate individual education plans, also known as IEPs. And this season of Understood Explains covers topics like how to tell if your child needs an IEP and busts common myths about special education. So I checked out the episode on the difference between IEPs and 504 plans because my daughter Maggie uses a 504 plan and it was really, really helpful. It went over all the differences, which one's better, how to get them, different myths and what your rights are, all kinds of different things that you should understand if your child may need extra help in education through an IEP or a 504 plan. The tone is super helpful, friendly, and smart. 
I highly recommend you check it out. To listen to Understood Explains, just search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's it. Understood Explains. Yeah, yeah, I, it, that's great. I mean, I, I kind of think of that as like the care and keeping of you, you know, like some of those conversations about like, just learning about you, like you happen to be this way, you might have noticed. And this is, this is, these are some of the ways that you can, I love that self-talk, self-compassion and, and just teaching, kind of coaching that self-care rather than imposing it from above, right? Is what you're talking about. Yes. And getting them to like learn their needs. You know, we're so, as HSPs, we tend to be so externally focused. We're very concerned about others and are you okay? Do I need to do something for you? And Oftentimes, it's our default to be external like that, and that we have to teach ourselves and our children how to get to know what we need. Because if we're always giving up what we need or we don't know what we need, that's not going to work long term. We're not going to be happy, fulfilled people. So getting them to get to know what, what works for them and how they feel about something, asking them questions to explore their kind of internal world. I used to do things with uh, my boys where, you know, oftentimes kids are so busy and active just in in their life when they're little. And um, we would, I would always lay with them in bed at night and tucking them in. And we'd lay there, and maybe we'd read some stories, but we'd also have time just to talk. And that's when they would open up about their world and their day and something that happened at school or something their friend said. And it was their way of processing. That's another piece is that, that depth of processing piece. Mm-hmm. We have to process a lot. So if you've had a really uh, overstimulating day, your child's not going to be able to, your sensitive child isn't going to be able to jump into bed and go to sleep instantly. They're going to need to process the day. So I usually have parents think about like, if you want your child to be asleep by nine o'clock, you start that way earlier, sometimes even two hours earlier when they're doing the brushing the teeth and everything, the downtime. And then maybe they're going to need, you know, about an hour of time to process their day. That's something that can't be skipped. And if it's skipped, it turns out that it shows up in, you know, not sleeping well, for example. And you named your daughter's sleep thing. That was, my parents didn't have very many rules for me as a kid, but one of them was I could never spend the night two nights in a row with a friend (laughs) because I would get sick every time. And uh, they, yeah. the the sleep issue is a big one. Uh, making sure we get enough sleep that's affects us more than the non non HSPs. So when you talk about depth of processing, you're talking about processing and like uh, talking about your day, talking about what happened, just talking through the various things that happened. Just to be clear for the listener. Yeah, and we tend to have so if we can imagine tubes of information going into our brain. Uh, A non-HSP, somebody that's not sensitive, might have like three tubes of information. And a sensitive being, sensitive child, adult, is going to have, you know, 50 to 100 tubes of information going into their brain. So helping them talk through that, teaching them when they're young to journal, doing things like that where they're able to process their emotions, their experiences, you know, all of it. It's kind of like having this internal motor. And if that gets turned up too high, that's what turns into anxiety and high stress. And we kind of got to teach them how to keep that motor turned down. And part of that is the, is the processing piece. 
And so processing could probably look like a lot of different things. Like it might look like, uh, you know, playing with um, dolls or something for kids. Like I, I painted a lot. I did a lot of painting out my most challenging stuff um, and all kinds of things, right? Oh, I love that. Yes, for kids and for all of us. I mean, we have such a creative center in our brains that doing something through art is can be fantastic. Yeah, I, it's it's about bringing it out and releasing what mm -hmm. gets mm -hmm. what gets in there, right? Like you were saying, with what you were able to do that with your painting, that's wonderful. Awesome. All right. Cool. So, so all of these things were we're teaching self acceptance. We're teaching learning about their own self talk, learning about their needs figuring out how to like process their day and, and then teaching them that it, it helps to process and to release all these different things. And you mentioned the brain, like a highly sensitive person or child or, and oh, before we go to the brain though, actually I wanted to mention that you're teaching about your, their own needs, right? So often a highly sensitive child is going to be the child of a highly sensitive person, right? right. Uh, so I'd love for you to speak for a moment about modeling because I mean, I say it all the time here on the podcast, but I just can't, I feel like it can't be said enough that kids are really sort of bad at doing what we say and great at doing what we do. And so with, yeah. um, can you just speak to a little bit about that as a little bit to modeling as a, a parent of a highly sensitive child who might also be? Oh, yes. I love that you're bringing that up because that is so important. You know, even with young children, because a lot of moms will say, you know, I don't have time to you know, have downtime or have alone time and because I'm so busy with the children or something. And, but we can do it with them. And a lot of parents will do that. I did things like that too, where you can do it a couple different ways. One is you can teach them from an early age that you're going to be having that quiet time and that's your time. And then you also teach them that they can have that too, that that's the time that they do things that are activities that are really silent activities, very quiet, very non-stimulating. And I, like I was talking to a, another mom recently and she was saying her little one, she started to do time, to, they, they call it, okay, this is our quiet time. And they both will do something together, but it's quiet, like maybe coloring or drawing for the child. And then she can maybe do reading or listening to meditation. You could even do things like that with your kids. I would do yoga and meditation with my kids when they were little. And it's just such great, it is such an important piece to to model that so that they can understand that they these are pieces that are going to help them in life. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you so much, Julie. So highly sensitive kids and adults are just taking in more information. What does that look like in the brain? Well, we actually have, you know, there's parts of our brain that are more activated than a non-HSP. So for mm -hmm. example, we have an overly activated amygdala, which is that fight yeah. flight freeze system. Mm -hmm. And many HSPs, and that used to be my life too, was have, we're having that, you know, activated daily. And that releases adrenaline. That's incredibly hard on the system. And it's, it takes a long time to recover when that happens. So knowing that you have these, these particular areas that are different is helpful because then you can navigate that, you know, what's going on in your system. Um, we also have an increased what's called brain mirror neuron system. So we literally will fire the same neurons as the person that we're observing. Huh. So uh. if, some, if somebody's crying in front of us in incredible distress, we can start releasing some of those, you know, those uh, activating some of those same neurons in it. That's why we often literally 
feel like we're feeling what somebody else is feeling because it's mm. real. Um, we have an increased brain activation in parts that have to do with attention and, and action planning. That's why lots of HSPs like to plan and prep a lot. <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, I always joke we kind of want to run out ahead of ourselves and smooth out the road before we get there. And so we also have increased insula activation, which is a higher level of awareness and consciousness. We have ability to read facial expressions, body, what's the word I'm looking for? Language. <laughs> word. language. Body language. <laughs> body language. Facial expressions, body language that up to 80% of the population can't read. Huh. I mean, isn't that incredible? Wow. That is pretty amazing. Oh my gosh. <laughs> which is why we tend to have, you know, be incredibly empathetic, compassionate. We are very creative. We're we've very intuitive, a high level of awareness. So we're taking in a lot. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. Hello, you sentient ball of stardust. My name is Casey Davis. I'm a therapist and I'm an author of the book, How to Keep House While Drowning, where I talk about ways to make it a little bit easier to take care of yourself when you're overwhelmed, stressed, have mental health issues, physical health issues, or maybe you're just in a hard season of life. Maybe you're looking for a place that you can come and listen to some practical advice. This is a podcast for all of the self-help rejects. We're going to talk about skills for survival and self-kindness. And I'm going to leave the pop psychology at the door. I promise not to tell you to meditate or to journal. We're just going to give you some really insightful conversations with hopefully some practical advice. So I don't believe you need to pick yourself up by the bootstraps. I don't want you to just try harder, and I don't believe that laziness exists. So join me over on Struggle Care, where we can find compassionate solutions that help us function a little bit better. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And now this is, we know more about this these days, right? Like this is, you know, it's interesting because I'm thinking about myself certainly somewhere on this in this highly sensitive person zone and, and certainly my daughter and, and these same traits that I see in myself and my daughter, I see in my father and I see in my grandmother who has passed, but I can see, I can really see that, <laughs> you know, maybe what we sort of affectionately sometimes and, and critically sometimes call the crazy is kind of passed along from, <laughs> from grandma to my dad, to me and to my daughter and, and coping skills that aren't so great you know, in, in the older generations, because you're basically, we're taught 
not to have feelings (laughs) in older generations, which is ridiculous, of course. And so I see a lot of numbing and things like that. Is is that what you see in, in older generations of highly sensitive people or people who are unaware of this? Oh, yes, definitely. There's a lot of numbing stuff that goes on, whether it's through drugs and alcohol, whether it's through even a cutoff of emotions so that they don't allow themselves to feel anything. Wow. That comes up a lot like in relationships. So if I'm, I do, I also do couples work. So a lot of times you'll have a couple come in and, and there'll be a complaint of, you know, they just don't feel anything or they're not connecting. And that's because they've cut off those emotions because they've been, it's been so powerful. They haven't understood how to navigate that. So mm. yes, definitely seeing a lot of that. Um, and you know, how it's, how it's viewed now as opposed to then. And that piece about acceptance of our emotions, I found that I often use this example of like uh, an emotion weighs five pounds, but the judgment about the emotion, the negative judgment about the emotion saying that we shouldn't feel that, that weighs a thousand pounds. I love that. I I read that in your book just like three days ago and I was like underlining. (laughs) That was great. (laughs) Say it one more time so we can get it into the the listener's ears. Yay. Yes. It's so powerful. And I see that all the time in the HSPs I work with is that as soon as we, and I did it myself, you know, I was always, I would have a powerful emotion and then I would think there's something wrong with it. Therefore that translates into there's something wrong with me. Yes. And that's where the problem is, not the emotion itself. So if we can really work on changing self-judgment into self-compassion, that was a skill building technique I had to learn. I did not have that ability as do many HSPs. to switch that is incredibly life-changing. It, it's really unbelievable how different that feels. You know, kind of, I use examples of like imagining there's two children in front of you and they're both feeling hurt by something that's happened. And one of them, you say, oh my God, what is wrong with you? I can't believe you're being that, you know, fill in the blank, like stupid, weak, whatever words you're using. You would never talk to a child like that, but we talk to ourselves like that. You know, the, the self-talk can be very critical and versus we talk to a child that's like, sounds like you're having a really hard time, you know, come here, let me give you a hug. Let me help support you through this. If we can change the way that we're relating to ourselves that way and start to teach our children the same way, and it does get passed on because if a child hears their mom saying, oh my gosh, I'm so stupid or, oh, I'm so weak or whatever it is, then they are going to start modeling those same things. Mm, I I love that um, example of imagining tr- saying that to two children in front of you because when we hear that, of course, we would never, you know, kind of consciously be harsh and critical to a child who's hurting. But then we we turn around and do that to ourselves. And and so um, you talk about mindfulness in your book because a big part of this, obviously, is being able to even recognize your self-talk in the first place, right? If this is just the, if this is just the tape that's running and, and you're like in the waterfall you, or you're in the, the water of this, you're like a fish in it. You don't even realize you're in water. You know, you have to be able to have the awareness that, that this negative self-talk is there in the first place. So, yeah. so tell me about your, you know, you, it sounds like, like you're teaching mindfulness practices in your uh, in your book, Brain Training for the Highly Sensitive Person. Yes, that's so important. And, you know, being an HSP too, we have 
a lot of ability to, we can read what our body is experiencing. You know, we feel the difference between, you know, if we're being really hard on ourselves, that shows up in how we feel. And we can start to become aware of that right away. So I often have people start to become aware of what their body is telling them. Are you all tense and stressed and in, you know, feeling upset about something? What's that trying to say to you? So I teach people how to do check-ins. You can do this with children too. Have, you know, check in with yourself. But I often say every time you go to the bathroom, just ask yourself, how am I doing? You know, am I okay right now? Something happened that I need to process or think through versus, you know, let me stuff it all down inside and have it erupt at some point later. Um, and so teaching that mindfulness skill of like checking in, how am I doing? What do I need? Even just simple questions like that every day is is life-changing. Then you can kind of get to know yourself. It's like, oh yeah, that person said something to me that actually kind of hurt my feelings. Well, let me process that a little bit versus let me, you know, hold on to it and then it's going to get piled up and, and cause a lot of problems. That's where we'll see meltdowns with kids and things like that. You know, they, they generally, you can almost always trace a, a meltdown to something that could have been prevented. So you're teaching, um, you're teaching parents of highly sensitive kids, some of the, some, some of the skillful communication tools, I imagine that you're like, you're teaching them how to respond with empathy when a child's like having big emotional difficulties, um, which, you know, which is different from sort of the conventional way of responding to kids with big emotional difficulties, which is like, stop it, go to your room. Um, so you're, you're teaching skills and and empathy and things like that to the parents of these kids, I imagine. Yeah. And to kind of learn that when we have, I, I kind of talk about, we have two parts of the brain, the emotional brain and like the thinking cognitive brain. Mm -hmm. And when our child is having a meltdown, they're activating their emotional brain and they aren't going to be able to take in a a lesson at that moment, for example. (laughs) So when our emotional brain is is being activated, our cognitive brain kind of goes to sleep. And that's the part that has tools and knows what to do and facts. And the emotional brain is like the irrational brain. So I often say to parents, like, if you want to teach your children something, like, you know, work on changing a certain behavior, we have to do it when they're calm, you know, when they're not currently activated. So that's an important piece to know, because a lot of parents will say, well, I told them this and this and this and this. And you know, maybe they were yelling those things or the child was crying during the time or having their, you know, emotional meltdown at that time. They're not going to hear anything that you're saying and they're not going to take it in and they're not going to learn from it. So I can think of an example of like um, one of my sons when he was little, he had really strong emotions about things. And if he would have a, I remember like his brother locked him out one day on purpose. (laughs) And he got so upset that he started like kicking the patio door. And so if I would have like gotten after him in that moment, he wouldn't have learned anything. But afterwards I came to him and I said, you know, let's talk about that a little bit. I know that that was really upsetting and stuff. And we validated the emotion. And we also talked about, you know, you could hurt yourself by doing that. You could break the window by doing that. Like, what are some other things that we could do? Let's, let's talk through that. And that came after he could get calm. So he's like, okay, next time, I'm going to turn around and I'm not going to look at him so that I can calm down. So he came up with solutions that work for him, right? And so teaching, using those 
times that, that those things happen that kind of go wrong, so to speak, using those as times that you could teach them about how to navigate their own strong experiences, strong emotions. Yeah, yeah, because they've got to learn that from the inside out, just kind yes. of the classic methods of just aversion. If you do this thing, behavior I don't like, and I'm going to punish you, and therefore you are averse to that behavior, it doesn't teach them anything about how to take care of things, how to take care of the emotions that drove the behavior in the first place. Um, Absolutely, yes. Yeah. And, you know, kind of, I remember another time my son getting really upset about a video game he was playing and it wasn't going well and he would get so upset and so emotional about it. So we started talking about like, you know, are you kind of teaching him? Like, is he kind of getting to know that rise? Like, for example, the beginning of it, like as it starts to get too strong, can he get to know like when he needs to take a break, for example? So that's something that he's learned. And now at 14, he has that ability to do that already. To kind of get to know, it's like, okay, I'm, I'm getting a little too stressed right now. I need to do something to take care of myself. So parents, just like kids, their cognitive, you know, thoughtful, empathetic part of the brain, they don't, we don't have access to that when our emotional brain <laughs> our <laughs> yes. is freaking out either, right? Like, yes. we, we forget all the wonderful things Julie said when, <laughs> when we're triggered. <laughs> how, how can parents calm down that stress response in themselves so that they can, you know, respond in a more thoughtful way to their kids. Yeah, that's a very good point. I see it as a very holistic process. It means that we have to do a lot of work on what I call kind of centering balance work. Mm -hmm. So if we're having an incredibly stressful life, one after another, we're not doing anything to, to work on our center and our balance, then we're not going to have the ability to, to use tools like this because our, our brains aren't going to be able to do it because we're going to be an overload. So it starts with, you know, really getting clear about, and a lot of moms will say to me, I was saying before about not having time, but then they recognize when they actually take the time to have more downtime, more quiet time, that they realize they actually do accomplish more and get more done. Plus they don't have to go through this like the shame cycle of, you know, I've exploded on with my, over my child over something and now I feel bad and now I feel guilty and now I feel shame. So if you can skip that cycle altogether, you actually end up with a lot of energy that you didn't used to have. Yeah. You know, it's funny because I just talked to a client today, like two hours ago and she's like, I'm discovering that I feel, you know, that exactly what you just said. It was so beautiful. Like, now that I'm giving myself more time to have quiet time, to have downtime, she's do, you know, doing a meditation practice. It's like, oh, I'm, I'm able to handle the rest of everything else in my busy life, including my kids, with more center, you know, in a more centered, balanced way. Yeah, exactly. Yes, it's, it connects to that completely. So whether it's your relationship, your, your parenting, all of it connects to that holistic process of, of taking care of yourself. And we kind of recommend, I mean, this, this often sounds extreme for some people, but this would be ideal that HSPs have two hours of alone time per day, one full, one full day off per week, and one week off a season. Oh, great. Wow. I love that. Wait, two hours of alone time a day, one full, full day off a week, mm -hmm. and then one week alone per season. Do you do this? 
well, one week off per season, and I don't have yeah, necessarily yeah. have to be alone every day of it. Oh, but, no, not alone. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. One yeah. week off. But I do, I do recommend that the two hours a day is alone. Yeah, yeah. And so are you doing this, Julie? Are you following your oh. recommendation? <laughs> oh, my gosh. I, you know, it is so funny because if I don't follow this, I feel it for sure. And I often talk about with HSPs, there's no such thing as perfection. And we do expect a lot from ourselves. And that's something that we often measure against is this idea of perfection. And we all get off track sometimes. And the idea is, you know, it's really common for us to kind of, oh, I'm feeling really great. Maybe I'm going to, I don't need to have this alone time. Maybe I'll, you know, get some stuff done instead. And pretty soon you realize like, oh, wow, now I'm actually starting to feel more stressed or I'm getting a little bit snappier or more irritable. So you really notice it when you do it versus you don't do it. So mm. for, for me, and I would say, do find things that you have access to right now. So like some people will say, well, I'd be great if I could have vacation all the time or something like that. So I'm like, find something that you could do. Like for me, I love my baths. Like I remember when I first started taking baths, I would think it was like so luxurious to like light a candle or something like that. Mm -hmm. So now I actually do that with intention. So if I, mm -hmm. if I'm taking a bath just to get clean, it's going to be a very different experience versus I'm taking a bath because I'm, that's an act of self-love. Mm, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I do this like silly thing of, part of me would have thought it was silly way back when, I, you know, I have this little spray bottle and I put some lavender essential oil in it and water and I spray my pillow at night with this. And it's like oh. just this little act that takes a second and it just feels really nice and feels really nourishing for myself. It's just like that, like that act of self-love. Yes. That's a great example. It doesn't even always have to be a big thing, but it's an act of self-love. It's an act of doing something that shows that you care about yourself in that way. I, I love that example. Mm, all right. So highly sensitive people can come. So you just mentioned the very beginning, and I, I think it'd be nice to sort of end with this. You, you mentioned some of the gifts. And I wonder if we could end with just talking about some of these, some of the, the gifts that you're seeing now in your own sensitivity or, or maybe in the sensitivity of others and sensitive children. What are, what are some of the positive gifts this is bringing to our world? Oh, yeah, so many things. I mean, we're so caring about people and about the world and compassionate. I mean, I, I think about the, the, the world with, without us and it would be a really different place. I actually like to think about what was it like? Why did this even evolve like this? And what was it like mm -hmm. when we were living out on the land and, you know, in tribes, for example, and it would have been the HSPs that were the healers, the teachers, the guides, the mentors. Mm. They were the ones that could tell, you know, where is a good place to find food and a safe place. And, you know, this is, it's such an important piece of, of the survival strategy for the population. And I think the more we recognize its positives, I mean, we, we tend to perform higher in work, actually. We put others first. We are creative, responsive parents. I mean, there's so many wonderful parts of it. And the feeling itself, like you also access, not only do we have these challenges with it, with the overstimulation and, and depletion and things like that, but we have these amazing gifts that come with it. And, you know, that's a beautiful part. That's a beautiful package. Yeah. Yeah. We just have to give our orchids the right amount of water. And yes. Sunshine. I love that. <laughs> I love that. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Yes. 
Well, Julie, it's been really a pleasure to talk to you. I really enjoy, I enjoyed your book. It's really a quick read, very simple and right to the point, getting, you know, teaching highly sensitive people how to reduce anxiety in an eight-week program. And, and I really enjoy, I'm really just grateful that you shared your wisdom with us today. I'm really grateful that you're doing this work out there in the world and that you are taking care of your sensitive nature enough to be able to show up at this high level and, and share your, your wisdom with us. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you. I really enjoyed talking to you and doing this today. And thank you for everything you're doing in the world as well. Oh, thank you so much. And I almost forgot to tell you, I always want to ask, how can people find out more about you? Yes, uh, my website, juliebiellen.com, that has everything with the courses and books and, and different things. And you'll probably have a link to that. I love how Julie talks about highly sensitive people. As a highly sensitive person myself, we're told that there's something wrong with that sensitivity. And I love that idea that it can be a power instead. It's so, so wonderful. Oh my gosh. What a different way of looking at it. And of course, in our Mindful Parenting membership, we have tons of highly sensitive parents and kiddos, and we support them with the highest quality tools to help ourselves take care of ourselves, calm our reactivity and steady the heart, the mind, the nervous system, and then communicate in a better way, right? Learn that new language of communication. So if you're interested in learning more or joining the waitlist, Go to mindfulparentingcourse.com so that we'll let you know the next time we open our doors. That's mindfulparentingcourse.com. And yeah, I hope you're having a good week. I hope this episode has been helpful. I really would love to know. Please let me know. Tag me on Instagram at mindfulmamamentor.com. Let me know your reviews. Share it around if it's helpful. That is really the best way of how we grow the podcast is just you sharing it with your friends you know if you got something out of it share and it makes such a huge difference when we grow this community around the world we've already had a million downloads and let's go for two million as we transform these generational patterns for everyone right like let's transform it's like a whole movement i love it i'm so glad you're here with me in it doing it yay so Wishing you a wonderful week, my friend. Thank you so, so much for listening. Namaste. I say definitely do it. It's really helpful. It will change your relationship with your kids for the better. It will help you communicate better. And just, I'd say communicate better as a person, as a wife, as a spouse. It's been really a positive influence in our lives. So definitely do it. I'd say definitely do it. It's so worth it. The money really is inconsequential when you get so much benefit from being a better parent to your children and feeling like you're connecting more with them and not feeling like you're yelling all the time or you're like, why isn't things working? I would say definitely do it. It's so, so worth it. It'll change you. No matter what age someone's child is, it's a great opportunity for personal growth and it's a great investment in someone's family. I'm very thankful I have this. You can continue in your old habits that aren't working or you can learn some new tools and gain some perspective to shift everything in your parenting. Are you frustrated by parenting? 
Do you listen to the experts and try all the tips and strategies, but you're just not seeing the results that you want? Or are you lost as to where to start? Does it all seem so overwhelming with too much to learn? Are you yearning for a community of people who get it, who also don't want to threaten and punish to create cooperation? Hi, I'm Hunter Clarkfields, and if you answered yes to any of these questions, I want you to seriously consider the Mindful Parenting membership. You'll be joining hundreds of members who have discovered the path of mindful parenting and now have confidence and clarity in their parenting. This isn't just another parenting class. This is an opportunity to really discover your unique, lasting relationship, not only with your children, but with yourself. It will translate into lasting, connected relationships, not only with your children, but your partner too. Let me change your life. Go to mindfulparentingcourse.com to add your name to the waitlist, so you will be the first to be notified when I open the membership for enrollment. I look forward to seeing you on the inside mindfulparentingcourse.com. Hello, you sentient ball of stardust. My name is Casey Davis. I'm a therapist and I'm an author of the book, How to Keep House While Drowning, where I talk about ways to make it a little bit easier to take care of yourself when you're overwhelmed, stressed, have mental health issues, physical health issues, or maybe you're just in a hard season of life. Maybe you're looking for a place that you can come and listen to some practical advice. This is a podcast for all of the self-help rejects. We're going to talk about skills for survival and self-kindness. And I'm going to leave the pop psychology at the door. I promise not to tell you to meditate or to journal. We're just going to give you some really insightful conversations with hopefully some practical advice. So I don't believe you need to pick yourself up by the bootstraps. I don't want you to just try harder. And I don't believe that laziness exists. So join me over on Struggle Care, where we can find compassionate solutions that help us function a little bit better.